You're listening to Creativity Quest, hosted by me, author and writing mindset coach, Carrie Schaefer. Join me and my guests on our quest to ditch our doubts, dance with our demons, and delve into creative delight. Creativity Quest is owned and copyrighted by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Now, let's get creative. Creative people, Carrie Schaefer here with another edition of Creativity Quest. I am super excited. I know I'm always excited, but I really, truly, I always am. I have a really unique and fascinating guest for us today. Her name is Michelle Northwood. And before I get into telling you all about Michelle and the, you know, one of her claims to fame that she re- writes about in her book includes dancing in South Korea. So you already know this is going to be a completely different sort of experience than we often get to have here on the show. But I also have exciting news of my own that I need to tell you. Um, my alter ego, Carrie Ann King, and her book, Everything You Are, is actually a prime rib's I can't even talk this morning because so excited, right? A prime reads. Uh, first reads pick for September. So if you are a Prime Reads member, you can actually grab everything you are now instead of waiting for October and you can get it free or you can pick it up for $1.99 if you are not a Prime Reads member. So everything you are, you can get it now. And I am, of course, very excited about that because I want to see what you all think about the book. And little uh, blurb for Carrie Ann King aside, I'm going to jump right back to Michelle Northwood, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about the book, and then we're going to introduce Michelle. So the book is called Fishnets in the Far East, A Dancer's Diary in Korea, A True Story. And seriously, that title just grabbed me right away. That's not a thing you hear every day. This is the true story of a young dancer whose naive dream of working in the Far East turns into a nightmare. She finds herself in a plethora of situations which she is ill-equipped to deal with. Dancing her way across South Korea with two friends, she is propositioned by the mafia, turned away by the British embassy, caught in a student riot, and taken to Korean brothels. At times both shocking and humorous, this is the story of a timid young girl finding her voice and learning to stand up for herself in a male-oriented world of alcohol, sex, and seedy nightclubs. Wow. Michelle, welcome to the show. Hi. I'm I'm just reading that. I'm kind of, you know, amazed that you are with us and here to talk today about (laughs) about a book. So my very first question when I read that is was really dancing in South Korea. And I had to ask you, how did that happen? Um, well, I suppose I have my mum to thank for that. Um, she was always what I would call a pushy mother uh-huh. in regards to dancing. There, there was myself and two other sisters, younger sisters, and um, my mother was was always adamant that we would become professional dancers and make something of ourselves. So I remember sitting at the kitchen table one night and she just suddenly announced that she'd found an agent who was looking for dancers for South Korea and she got me in a, um, an audition for that Saturday morning. 
And it didn't matter that I was saying, oh, well, I don't know, and blah, blah, blah. It all just fell on deaf ears, and I was taken down to London to audition. Oh, my God. How old were you at this time? I was uh, 20 years old, but I was a very naive, young 20 years old. I wasn't streetwise at all. So, and what kind of dancing? Um, We had to do two... 20-minute shows. The first one was um, very cabaret-fied. It was with bikinis and feathers and the big feather backpacks. Uh, We did um, some singing and dancing. Uh, Everything was all put together in two 20-minute shows. So you would, the three of us would start together with the opening routine and then one of us or two of us depending on which show we were doing would have to run off completely change the the costume in like 30 seconds flat and then go back on and do a series of duets or solo dances to fill in the 20 minutes wow now you know what comes to mind when i think about that kind of show is not south korea so I'm kind of fascinated by that. Is is that something that was a lot of that happening then in the Middle East, or there there were actually hundreds of um, foreign dance acts when we were there uh-huh. uh, from all over the world, not not just from Britain. There was uh, actually we didn't find American dancers. There were a lot of American um, GIs there, obviously. Right. Um, but there were there were dancers from um, Australia, Canada, um, French from France. Yeah, but there there were there were hundreds of of acts to choose from, and basically every bar had some sort of entertainment. Wow! So it it I can just think what a what a nightmare that ha- had to have been for you. Was there any? I mean your mom pushed you into the dancing was there any creative pleasure for that in you you know at all or was that just something at that time that you you know kind of felt that you had to do oh no I I absolutely loved it I loved dancing and Mm -hmm. my um a neighbor had told my mom to send me dancing when I was just three years old because I was extremely shy and the, the neighbor said, send her to dancing school because that will bring her out of her shell. But I don't think it did. I think it, um, it made me be able to do anything on a stage. I wasn't afraid to be on a stage because I'd, I'd done it from being so young. But to have sort of interactions with other people, I was still very shy. Yeah, and so to go, you know, that far away from home and run into all of those um, experiences that um, that must have been quite a quite a well a growth opportunity. <laughs> we could definitely. <laughs> I was I was quite lucky that the the one of the other girls, Louise, that I befriended, she was uh, much more streetwise than me. And in the beginning, I would say for the first three months, she really mothered me i i hung around with her all the time she wouldn't let me go out on my own and i to be honest i needed that i needed someone to rely on right it sounds well i think any of us would going you know that far to such a very different culture um at such a young age would need somebody um wow it's it still blows me away but you know there's so much in your life that um i do want to talk about 
So I, I'm looking at, at that, and you have also worked in the circus. So you've been a ring mistress, you've been the knife drawer's assistant, you've been the single trapeze, high wire. Um, how did you get from dancing to being in the circus? Um, well, I, the, the agent that I worked for in Korea, um, I did a second contract for her. And um, when I came back, the third contract I was supposed to do fell through. And one of the girls that was um, doing the rehearsals with me at the time, she said, don't worry, I've found out that there's a, um, an audition for dancers in a circus um, in, in Austria. And so we went along to the, to the audition and um, she actually wasn't chosen, but I was. And I went to work in Germany and Austria. And then from there, I worked in the Philippines, Malaysia, uh, Brazil. I think I did about 12 years altogether in circus and five years in circus in England too. So... And I'm really curious, I know nothing about, you know, all of this, this circus work, but I, I'm just, I'm fascinated by your life and that you, you began with dancing and then you moved into all of these other different sort of um, physically creative work and then it came to writing, which we're going to get think, to. I think it's big. Go ahead. I think I I loved I loved the life I loved traveling seeing different experiencing new things and I realized that if I could only dance I was limiting myself to finding contracts but if I could learn other skills obviously the more doors would open so any chance I got to learn something new I did it Right, which is just brilliant. So, and I'm thinking that besides opening doors and finding like employment opportunities, every one of those things that you've learned mm -hmm. must have expanded you as a human being and your your creative self in some way. Is that correct? Yes, I, w I would agree with you. Yes, I think um, I think the same would apply to anybody. Really, the the more you do and the more you experience. Um, changes you as a person you you just you see things in a different way right that that seeing things in a different way I think I found that when I learned a new language um, back in you know college I, I studied French and I looked at you know a few other languages and I found that that changed the way that I think about things and really opened my mind in a lot of ways um, and I'm sure that travel has to do that. And then being around so many different kinds of interesting people would, would really just kind of open up your, your mind and your heart and, and your life in a whole lot of different creative ways. Yeah, that's true. And I, I agree with you in regards to language because I, I studied Spanish at university and once you can understand what other people are saying in another language, it just opens your mind. You just see things in such a different way. And, and being able to uh, interact with those people is fabulous. Sure, absolutely. And I, I'm thinking, too, like being involved with the circus, you would meet a whole lot of very 
um, people who are think about things in a in a different sort of creative way than mainstream, you know, boring, <laughs> boring go to nine to, nine to five jobs type people like most of the rest of us, right? <laughs> Um, yes, definitely. I mean, you people from from circus backgrounds they they look at things in in a totally different way. They have a different mindset, I think. To like you're saying, to a normal sort of nine to five job, they they just it's weird. It's just weird. Right. In oh, well, I like weird. But I think what they say about everybody. I think what what everybody says about a circus, it's one big happy family. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think it's it's like the circus is like living in a big street. It's exactly the same. Everybody's curtains are moving and seeing what everybody else is doing. Nobody has any privacy. It's it's like one big family, but everybody needs to know what everybody else is doing. <laughs> and there's a bit of backstabbing, and sure. it's it's not all. Um, like in the books, shall we say? <laughs> right. I, w I would think that there would be a lot of competition. The, the I read a really now this is random, but I read a really weird book about circus life at one point. It was called Geek Love, um, and it, Geek Love, not geeks the way we think of geeks, but geeks as being the ones back then that bit the heads off chickens and that kind mm -hmm. of thing. It, it, it was a very weird, rather dark little, but funny. <laughs> Darkly funny <laughs> book about circus life that a friend gave me, um, which was one of those books that made me look at everybody in a slightly uh, a slant sort of way, wondering what they were harboring <laughs> for a while. So, well, I, <laughs> I remembered um, one girl who was um, a bit of a hypochondriac, and she was. Um, she decided that she was going to faint and that she couldn't possibly do the second half of the show. And another girl called an ambulance and the ambulance driver was saying to me, there's absolutely nothing wrong with her. I, we can't take her away because we, there's nothing, there's no reason to take her in the ambulance. <laughs> and she refused to get up. And so I was saying to the rest of the girls, go to the back of the tent. We have to re-block all the dances for the second half. Get into the... And nobody moved. And in mm -hmm. the end, I lost my patience. I was really shouting and swearing and telling them to get to the, the tent. And one of the ambulance men said, oh, oh goodness me, it's nothing like the, the books I read as a child about circus. <laughs> <laughs> well, and... <laughs> no... <laughs> That, and that's actually really funny because it, it also tells us how you progressed from being a very shy young girl when you began this life of entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true, yes. So moving from there, so you are no longer with the circus and you went back to school and got a degree in modern languages, yes. uh, English and Spanish. And yeah. So, and then you've been writing since then. So I'm really interested in how you came to begin writing about your experiences. Um, well, I was um, tidying up. I have lots of boxes of things everywhere that, I, that needed sorting out. And I came across uh, two or three diaries that I had written while I was traveling. And um, I sat down and started reading one of them, and I thought this would make a very interesting book. 
And so I decided to have a go, sit down and try and um, put something down on paper. But the problem I have is that once I, once I write something, I'm never 100% happy with it. And I keep rereading it and adding more. And I, I almost feel like I start writing the skeleton and then I add the sinews and the muscles and I build it up time and time again until I'm more or less happy with it. <laughs> yeah, we're never a hundred percent happy. Yeah. I think that's the thing about writers and, and that's okay. There's a, you know, clearly you've been able to let it go out into the world, which is awesome. But I love the metaphor you just used for describing your writing process. So for you, you, you begin with, as you say, the skeleton, and then you begin to add the sinew and the muscles and the skin and build it up from the inside yeah. out. That's, I love that description. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and, and I think, you know, we all do have a very different process. And I talk about that a lot. Some people keep going back and back and they're creating a whole thing as they go along. Uh, some people do it the, the way that you're describing. Um, I tend to do it a little bit that way too. Although my skeleton is very, very messy. <laughs> it's not a well articulated skeleton. <laughs> And lots of times there are bits and pieces of the bones that it's like the coyotes have dragged away and I have to, <laughs> you know, hunt them back down and bring them back, you know, but, but I think that's often how it is. And so do you have any, how do you keep your perfectionism? You said, you know, you're never really happy with it. How do you keep that off to the side long enough to allow you to build up this whole work into something that is you know, whole, complete, and relatively good enough for you? I just keep reading it from start to finish over and over again, and then thinking, oh, yeah, well, I could add um, another line of conversation here. Oh, I could change that. I could make this a little bit more descriptive. I mean, one, one um, reviewer said to me that he thought I should have described things um, in greater detail but I think everybody has that not not actually of the of uh, things that happened to me he meant in regards to describing the room that I walked into oh. and things like that mm -hmm. and, um, I, I said to him that the descriptions I put in were quite difficult for me because if I'm being honest if I'm reading a book when somebody starts saying there was a chair in the, ta on the, in the corner and a table in them, I get bored and I tend mm -hmm. to skip it. So I wanted to put some description, but not too much so that people would be bored. Right. And, that, and that's funny. You know, it's interesting to me because readers are, well, oddly enough, I said with irony, as different in the reading process as writers are in the writing process, which yes, is why yeah. every reader is not for every writer, right? Yeah. There are those people who love all those detail and there are people who absolutely hate it. And so as a writer, I, I don't know, my philosophy is always write what I love and the people who also love it will then be drawn to those books. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it's really fascinating to me, um, you know, that, that you've gone ahead and, and, and written this book and what an interesting concept it is to, 
to have done, well, first off, all the things you did. I keep looking at that. I love your title, by the way. Thank <laughs> you. That's a great title. Um, I want to mention right now, guys, before I forget, that uh, Fishnets in the East, in the Far East, a Dancer's Diary in Korea, is currently a special Kindle deal on Amazon. So if you click over to that for the next couple of days, you can actually get it for 99 cents. I'm looking at it right now on my computer, and it's telling me it's a Kindle countdown deal, and it price goes back up in two days, 20 hours, 36 minutes, and 26 seconds. So if you grab it now, you get a special deal and get to read this very, very fun story, again, called Fishnets in the Far East, A Dancer's Diary in Korea. Not just fun, excuse me, I'm sure very um, difficult in places, but written with humor as well. So you also, I wanted to ask about this. So you are teaching now, and it, um, your bio says you also have your own private school. So did you start a school or? Um, yes. I, it, to be honest, it's something else that I sort of fell into. When I, when I retired from dancing, I met my uh, husband, who is Spanish, and um, he actually followed, followed me to the circus in England. We stayed there for five years. And then we decided to um, come to Spain to live. And um, we actually opened a bar. And within a few days, um, some of the clientele were asking me if I could help their children with their English homework. And... Uh, just really through word of mouth, I ended up having to rent a room and start giving classes. And then that progressed again to opening my own academy. And I prepare children to take the, um, well, they're called Cambridge English exams. I don't know if they have the same thing in, in America. I don't know. No. Um, but <laughs> it's like part of the common European framework of languages. Uh -huh. And they have uh, six different levels, starting from very, very basic until speaking like a native, basically. And um, they're known all over Europe. And so a lot of children uh, sign up for the exams and not blowing my own trumpet, but they do, in general, do very well. That does so. not surprise me, Michelle. I, you know, <laughs> one, one of the things I keep hearing in your story that I think is so important to a creative life is this openness you have had to experiences. So, you know, although your mother was pushing you to South Korea and maybe it wasn't the thing you really wanted to do, you did go, you, you went. Yeah. And then when other opportunities arose, you went for that. I mean, it's not everybody who would have said, yeah, sure, I'll go to a circus audition. And why wouldn't I start a school? And, you know, all those yeah. kinds of things. So I love that creative openness. And I really believe that's something that a lot of us as creatives would do well to have more of when the ideas and the opportunities come to just go, yeah, I'll, I'll try that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, actually, there's a, a British actress. Um, I can't think of her name off the top of my head. Um, but she was quoted in a newspaper and, and she said, if you want to be successful, Joanna Lumley, she's called, um, if, you, if you want to be successful, smile all the time and say yes to everything. And I, I cut that out of the newspaper and kept it. And it's always been my motto. So 
If you want to be successful, smile all the time and say yes to everything. I am writing that down. <laughs> there was more to it. I think it was like never be late and different things, but those two sure. different uh, remarks just stayed with me. Right. I, and I'm going to leave us with that because I believe that's a brilliant motto for all of us uh, creative people out there to do more of that. So find the joy places where everything that can make you happy, uh, celebrate the successes and the gratitude and say yes to everything you can and experience all of the different things that come your way. So yeah. thank you so much, Michelle, for being here. This was an awesome conversation. You're welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me. You're so welcome. Again, the book is called Fishnets in the Far East, A Dancer's Diary in Korea, and currently on sale in the Kindle store. Thank you guys for listening today. And as always, go do something 